Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there, folks. Oliver here. Today, I interview Taco Carlier, CEO of Van Mouth, about their recently released S3 and X3 bikes, and also their recent venture fundraise. They're one of the largest and fastest growing urban bike manufacturers globally. And it was a great discussion about the state of the industry in these tough COVID times. I'm super bullish on them and on owned e-bikes in general, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of this episode. Before we begin, I do want to thank our sponsor for the episode. Have you ever lusted for a vehicle as much as you did for your prom date? Onyx Motorbikes reinvigorates two-wheel transportation with high-performance electric motorbikes crafted to outperform oil-reliant cars in the old world. Their flagship motorbike, the RCR, combines all electric drivetrain with serious vintage moped design. Onyx bikes are built tough and fun to ride. Equipped with both hydraulic and regenerative braking systems, the RCR is a versatile bike for every day, with both track and trail capabilities. Carve up the back roads, then smoothly roll into the elevator of your office or apartment building. With virtually zero maintenance, you're always ready to ride. Flip between three modes for a range of 70 miles and a top speed of 60 miles an hour. Check this all out on the RCR website at onyxmotorbikes.com. Onyx, providing an insanely fun electric solution to urban transit or any adventure. Get an Onyx and show off your hot trophy vehicle everywhere you go. Don't dream the future, live the future. Get up to speed today at onyxmotorbikes.com. Thanks to Onyx for sponsoring today's episode. And here's Taco. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us again, uh, Taco. How are you today, Taco? Yeah, fine. Thanks. And you? Thanks uh, for having me. Oh, no, mate. Hey, look, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I feel like we've uh, we've totally stolen uh, stolen the, the, the spotlight here with being able to, uh, to, to, to congratulate you, one of the first, I think, uh, on the successful raise, uh, $13.5 million from um, Bulgerton Capital and Sinbon Electronics uh, for, for, for Van Malf. Um, it's an excellent outcome for you guys for, for expansion, right in the middle of uh, what is a pretty tough time for, for raises. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah. Um, that, that's, so talk me through um, where I really want to kind of cover off uh, the, the, with this episode, the, the new bikes that you guys have just uh, brought out, the S3 and the X3, um, and kind of do a bit of an update since, since the last time we had a chat. And so I thought maybe what we could do is for those of people who haven't really had a chance to like, haven't listened to the, the last episode, they're completely coming to this brand new, don't know what Van Mouth is. Um, do you want to take us through, uh, you know, uh, what is Van Mouth? Uh, how did it come to be? Uh, where do you operate, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, Vermove is a is a, a company that my brother and me founded eleven years ago out of Amsterdam with the mission to get as much people on bikes in San Francisco, New York, Paris, London, Tokyo, Berlin as we have in our hometown of Amsterdam. Um, we 
uh, are a manufacturer of, uh, of uh, smart e-bikes uh, that we sell directly to consumers via our own flagship stores, uh, but most of the bikes we sell online. We sell 80% of the bikes online and uh, the other 20% is, uh, is B2B and, uh, and our, our brand stores. Um, we sell bikes in uh, all over the US, all over Europe, and in uh, in Japan. Um, the biggest market for sh- uh, uh, for sure now is is Germany, since we launched the S3 and the X3. And second is the Netherlands. Third would be the US, UK, France, and then Japan. Um, we the big news for us is uh, was the launch of the the S3 and X3 on uh, on April um, 21. Um, we always tend to introduce a new model every two years. Um, so and the new model completely replaces the um, the old model. So we don't have a, 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 a big collection. We only have two models: the S and the and the X. Uh, what to say about uh, uh, about the design of the bikes for people who, who don't know it? It's a completely integrated approach. So the, uh, it started with the lights ten years ago, but now the batteries, all the wires, all the cables, everything is integrated, which gives the bike its its clean look, but more importantly, makes it more uh, durable. Um, uh, bikes, uh, urban city bikes, have to endure a lot. Uh, during daytime use, so we like to integrate as much as possible. Um, further to say, Vermove uh, I think is is uh, famous for his focus on anti theft protection. We have four systems integrated: an, an integrated kick lock, an integrated alarm, uh, uh, a GSM tracker uh, device, and if all goes wrong, we still have our bike hunters who retrieve stolen bikes within uh, within two weeks. All oh, over I the can't globe. Wait. We're gonna we're gonna dig into that in in in, in a minute. Um, because I really want to take. I, I, I had some very uh, fun feedback from a couple of potential customers about uh, the bike hunters and and um, and the the their willingness to give you money as a brand because of those bike hunters. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll dig into that. But look, I, before we go there, I mean, that was a, thank you for the introduction. I think that's a that's a great um, thing. And I'll also have as well a photo of you alongside a bike uh, with the on the, on the website when we when we put up the episode, so people can see what these bikes look like because they are stunning. I remember when I first saw them, I thought uh, whoever's doing the design on that clearly knows what they're doing. They they re, you guys have um, had very striking design for bikes right from the get go, and I think you do a very good job of taking something that is relatively utility and turning it into something that's actually quite beautiful and, and an object of desire. Um, but hey, look, you know we're we're obviously doing this interview in mid May. Um, it's a tough time for for a lot of people, a lot of companies around the world, and I'd I'd love to hear um, how you're thinking uh, around COVID and 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 you know what can you say about sales and how things are going in the kind of the owned micromobility space. Any any insights that you can offer there? Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, COVID nineteen is a massive challenge. Of course, everyone who's who who, who has it, but also for uh, all my fellow entrepreneurs, it's a. Uh, it's a real tragedy, uh, but social distancing also means we are seeing quieter, cleaner, and and less congested cities. And uh, there, that's uh, we could say some silver line. I think a lot of people now, um, especially in Europe, where we where we've been hit really hard by the virus, and and. Uh, 
people are getting out of their uh, lockdowns now. We see that uh, 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 cities are, are, are changing. They have more or less seen uh, the light. They've seen how uh, clean cities can can be without cars. How quiet they can be, and um, uh, that they they they, they uh, smell the fresh air again, and <laughs> yeah. that's what why you this? see now. <laughs> yeah, what is this? <laughs> uh, and that's why you see now all over Europe, uh, Milan, Rome, uh, Berlin, London, Paris are massively closing uh, uh, roads for cars and opening. Uh, pop-up bikes lane, uh, pop-up bike lanes will hopefully uh, be there for good and uh, um, massively subsidizing the uh, purchase of uh, of e-bikes. France and Italy, I think, with 500 euros per e-bike. Um, so that's a massive change. And um, yeah, as I said, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an, um, it's a massive tragedy. But um, if there is a silver lining, I think this would be it. Absolutely. And, and the, uh, what, what we see, um, this, the, the new reality is, is accelerating changes in commuting attitudes and behaviors. And, and I believe those changes are here to stay. Everything we predicted for the next 10 years in terms of micromobility is now happening in just three, four months. And that's the... Uh, that's the crazy thing. One thing, one example. Um, in in my hometown of Amsterdam, there's more and more traffic on the bike lanes as the amounts of of cyclists is still increasing. So it it just became uh, it just becomes too busy. And the only solution uh, I saw is that the 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 bikes are going to the to the roads in between the cars, and the cars are only allowed to drive twenty miles per hour. That's the only. Um, solution as as there are also um, many more uh, light electric vehicles now popping up. All kinds of grocery stores are uh, and, and 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 couriers like FedEx and UPS UPS are switching to um, cargo bikes or uh, small electric cars. Um, and it's it's beautiful, of course, but it's it's it's. Uh, leading to a lot of congestion on the bike lane. So therefore, the only solution is to uh, move the um, uh, the bikes and the, and the light electric vehicles to the roads in between the cars, even less cars, and then the pedestrians can go use the extra space that's uh, that came up from the uh, from the from the bike lanes. I think that would, I thought that would happen in, in five to 10 years in Amsterdam and maybe in 10 to 15 years in, in, in London. Um, but now it's happening uh, already uh, right now in, in Amsterdam. They just started with that, with some experiments. And I think that will happen in other cities too, as we need more space for both pedestrians and for, uh, for cyclists in order to get uh, people to their work. So uh, that's a big change, and 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 as I said, it seems that this crisis is uh, accelerating the new reality. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love it. It's it's um it's certainly one that I've uh we, you know as I've been following this, the the changes in infrastructure and where those have been announced um is very heartening. Um, I do also love as well that extension of the subsidy. The the you know people were starting to get 
bikes, you know, purchases for, for these vehicles. Um, we haven't seen that much beyond uh, France or Italy, as you say. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm expecting that we might start seeing it in other, in other places around the world. Like, for example, you know, it's kind of crazy in my world that, uh, you know, a Tesla, for example, will get a $7,500 tax rebate. Uh, when they sell it, uh, but but an e-bike doesn't get anything. You know, it's like, well, which which device actually do, would would contribute to the things, the outcomes that you say you want? Uh, and we we don't have that in that many places around the world. So um, it's exciting. That to is see. true. Uh, that being said, it's it's great now that they are subsidizing it. But I don't think it's it's necessary to get the masses on uh, on e-bikes. Uh, uh, Pandora's box is open now. Um, people have seen the light. And um, it, it's all about behavioral uh, attitudes. Um, um, people tend to stick to their uh, commute, even if they're a much better solution. They, they, they tend to stick in, their, uh, in public transport or in their cars while there's already uh, beautiful bike lanes available because they're just not used to change. This virus uh, pushes them out of their behavioral patterns into onto bikes and i believe that even if this crisis is uh, is over um that they will stick to this uh, uh to this new reality and and uh, will keep riding e-bikes i don't not all of course some will go back but i believe if uh, once you've seen uh, the the, uh, the advantages of cycling uh, they won't go back that easily yeah yeah absolutely um well, look, I, I do want to talk through uh, your new bike. So, so um, obviously, the S3 and X3 is, as you say, the third generation of the e-bike. Um, how long have you? So, the is it every two? It was every two years. So, this is the four, this is the fourth year that you've had it, and this will be the the generation that lasts for the sort of fifth and sixth year of your e-bike journey as a as a manufacturer. Yeah, we started with uh, traditional bikes in 2009 and, and with e-bikes in 2014. That was a, a beta model. And then the first real version, the S1, came in 2014. So uh, six years is about right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And then so talk me through um, the bike because it, there's a couple of things about it that I really, uh, uh, and I, as I said, I'll put up a photo of it, but I just, I really want to kind of touch on because there's a... Um, one is the the fact that you've got um, obviously like a fully matte frame. Uh, the the entire bike is is be like it doesn't look like an e bike at all. It's about as un e bike looking as I've found any e bike, uh, which I which I hope is a compliment because a lot of the e bikes are kind of have been quite darn ugly until now. It's definitely a compliment, but what you have to say in combination with that because it's easy to make a e bike that doesn't look like an e bike with a really small battery, but to integrate a 600 watt hour battery uh, in a, in a, inside a bicycle frame and still uh, make it that it doesn't like an e-bike, that's a real uh, um, uh, big thing that I'm very, really proud that our engineers uh, succeeded in that. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, so obviously the the um, the big th kind of the big. If I was to hit off a couple of points, and we can go through them as as, as we want, but um, the couple of the the big points. One is the cost. So you went from a you know quite a high price point for the X2 and S2 to something that was a lot more affordable. And I'd love to kind of talk through how you thought about that and and why you've uh, you know w w how you thought through the trade offs for being able to go to that. 
And then um, the kind of the key points around the design. So, you know, what are the specific um, components and how have you thought about component design? Because I think that the part that I really got out of your last, out of our last podcast and having done a bit of research for this episode was just your re- your big focus on on proprietary design and the fact that you've really like all of that componentry is your own um, and, and what that means for your supply chain. Um, and then uh, and then how you're thinking about sales channels as well. So maybe if we start off with the cost. So this one is 2000 dollars 2000 euros uh and some some amount of pounds i don't quite know what it is um uh so so you know obviously that's a big step down from where you were before which was a three thousand five hundred dollar bike um what what were the thought of as you were thinking through it what you know is that a is that a yep you're going to do this for a prolonged period of time or is this a, just a sort of a early launch get the get the bike out get a lot of people buying it and eventually you can look at putting prices up or is no this is the price you're going to have right through no the, definitely not this is the um the, officially this is the introduction price so i can't uh, promise that it won't go up slightly but it definitely won't go up to 3500 and uh it it it, it it's uh, it, it won't go up much the idea uh uh, we started to comp- this company to get the next billion on bikes and to get the next billion people in the world on bikes. I believe we need high quality, uh, high specs, uh, affordable e-bikes. Um, so it has always been our goal to get the price down. We did so uh, from the beginning by completely uh, disrupting the way how bikes are made. To do so, my brother uh, moved to Taipei um, nine years ago uh i think 95 to 99% of all parts uh of all bikes around the globe are uh produced uh in factories that are in type 1 or owned by taiwanese they they really play a central role in the international bike industry so in order to disrupt the industry we needed to go there so my brother moved to taiwan set up an r&d office in taiwan so we have an office there with approximately 40 people working on the uh, uh, on the hardware and then um, we have of course the the the, the office in amsterdam um, where we uh, have the software engineers um we completely disrupted the industry by redesigning every part in our own house and we believe uh, in in um, by our own team so uh, and we've basically copied the way uh, the electronics industry works so what we do is we design and uh, we design and, and engineer everything in our own house. We own the patents, we own uh, the software, the source code, everything. And then we outsource the production to all kind of small factories, like in, and not OEM suppliers, but directly to injection molding factories, metal factories, uh, PCB factories. Then we get all the parts together and bring them to an assembly factory like Foxconn uh, or Simbon or um, could be the same, but companies from the electronics industry because those those companies know how to uh what's uh, high-end finishing is they know about quality control and they know about scale scaling up and this is essential because if we're able to scale up we can get the cost price down massively everything in our company is centered around that so that's why we only have two models in two colors uh, on a global level uh, that's why we only focus on electric bikes it's all about scale and with the s2 and the x2 uh, we um, achieved a certain scale 
uh, we grew, our company grew like crazy. We grew, grew from 10 million uh, to 40 million in, in just one year. Uh, quadrupled, it's called, I think, the, the <laughs> revenue. Yes, yes, it is. Um, yep. And uh, so that's why we were able to, uh, for the uh, S3 and X3 to reorganize the production and get the cost price down on a massive scale. And uh, we're able to reduce the cost price to uh, 1998. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. And, it, it you know, for someone uh, who's looking for, for an e-bike, I, I mean, again, I'm a... I was saying to this before we started, but I was slightly peeved that you don't ship them to New Zealand because I would have bought one immediately as soon as I ma- it was uh, made available. Because, um, you know, combined with... Um, and I was talking through this with a couple of people who I know have bought one. Um, Michael Naka, who's a friend of the podcast, uh, has bought one and is very excited about it. And he was like, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer at that price. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a really nice bike, but then it's a no-brainer because it, you can also then get the... Um, the maintenance and the bike hunter combination uh, for another $600 or something like that on top of it. And so he's like, you know, for three years, I know I've got a bike that's going to be reliable. It's going to be, and if it gets stolen, that I can have someone go and track it down. Um, so maybe that's a good point for us to kind of talk through the bike hunter and how you're thinking about the sort of service packages on top of that as well. Um, because that, you know, he, he calculated that the per kilometer cost is going to be so cheap. Uh, and provide all this peace of mind for him. Um, so talk me through, you know, those packages as well as uh, alongside that you, that you're thinking about. Yeah. So um, there are two packages, and if you get by both, you get some uh, some discount on them. So the first package is, is a package we already have for two years, and that's the the, the peace of mind. So when your bike is stolen, and I have to say it's practically practically unstealable because it doesn't make sense to steal it anymore as it has a, a, a integrated rear kick lock. So uh, the rear wheel is immobilized. Um, the You can't turn it on the motor uh, because you ha- you need your phone or you need an access, access code. So uh, you can't turn it on. It starts make uh, to annoying uh, sounds when you steal it. The lights flicker in an SOS signal. Uh, there's just no uh need there's no no uh you can't use it anymore when you uh when you steal it um but still if someone steals it we have a global service of uh, of bike hunters so they retrieve the stolen bikes in um europe we find now with the s2 we found almost 80 percent of the bikes back within two weeks in the rest of europe in, in the us that was a little bit lower uh, so if you want to be 100% sure that uh, your bike isn't stolen or the, uh, we have the bike, the peace of mind service, and yeah. that uh, promises that uh, if the bike hunters can't find your bike back, you will get a, a new one. Um, yeah, you will get a new one. So if the bike hunters can't find your bike back within two weeks, you will get a new one. That's the, that's the promise we made. So that's the bike hunter service, and on top of that, we have an, uh, an, an another peace of mind service. It's called peace of mind maintenance, and that basically said that uh, for every maintenance you have in the first three years, if it's guarantee or um, uh, or use, how do you say it? Uh, wear and tear. Yes. It doesn't matter. We'll uh, uh, we'll service the bike. Um, so both packages together are uh, you can you can add that to the bike. 
Yeah, I love the uh, the bike hunter thing as I was mentioning. Um, so there's a, a, a another uh, chap, uh, also another friend of the podcast, Stephen Lamber, who who was the head of strategy for uh, for Skip, uh, and he <laughs> he uh, he said, look, I don't normally do this, but I just love the idea so much and the marketing material is so good. I almost want to buy a bike just to give them money. <laughs> uh, that's very nice. Yeah, we also yeah. had, a, uh, had a, a guy that emailed me, uh, I don't need your uh, uh, peace of mind guarantee, but uh, because my bike is fully insured and it's locked in the, in the basement, it's all safe, but I'm just going to do it because I love the service so much that uh, yeah. I want to support the bike hunters. Yeah, so that's yeah. awesome, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, it's, it's marvelous. Um, so, cool. Well, look, talk me through the design. It so, means so... a lot to the, to the bike hunters, by the way. I mean, oh, it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a cool job, but it's, a, it's also a tough job. But uh, um, I, I sent them a copy of that email and they loved it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, well, the, 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 talk me through the, the design because, as you mentioned, you know, there's the there's the sort of multiple layers of theft protection. I love that. Um, uh, just so uh, to to explain that uh, that kick lock on the back wheel as well. So when you kick it in, it's a magnetic lock, and 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 it's to the point that nobody can like unclip it unless it's automatically released. So you you can't get in there with like a um, you know, a saw or something like that. You'd you'd ruin the entire bike if you were trying to like effectively un unclip that, right? Is that that's the sense that I get? Yeah, that's true. We we don't have any examples yet of uh, someone who succeeded to uh, cut that lock without destroying uh, the bike. It's the uh, the kick lock is uh, positioned uh, close to the central axis of the rear wheel, and it's uh, what it basically does is you. Uh, uh, to explain it in an easy way, you kick a pin through the to the rear axis, and and therefore you can't uh, uh, turn the rear wheel, rear wheel anymore. At the same time, when you push the kick lock, it triggers the uh, triggers the no not triggers it uh, activates the uh, the alarm, mm -hmm. um, and so that's what it does. And it's this kick lock can only open when it connects to your Bluetooth. So when you approach the bike uh, yourself. Um, it's it makes the connection and then it opens up. Or if your phone is empty, uh, you can overrule that with, by entering a, a, a Morse code on the bike. Um, so that's the integrated kick lock. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I love it. Also, as well, talk me through the um, the the motor because I I, I think um, I took out an S2 and like I'm not a small guy. You know, I'm uh, I and I remember complaining to you the last time that I didn't think the S2 was sufficiently powered up, even with the turbo boost button. Um, so what have you done with the motor for, for this design? Yeah, so we uh, um, what we we uh, did is um, took another motor as a standard and, and uh, redesigned it to uh, to our needs. So. Um, it's an uh, it's a different, m more powerful and more silent motor now. But more importantly, we took over the the control of the like in the S2. I think we controlled seventy percent of the design uh, of the production process, the the whole uh, supply chain, I should say. Now with the S3, we took over hundred percent. So we designed the entire electronics or in-house. And that means that we could adapt 
the electronics in the best way ever to the motor and the battery. Completely one system. It's uh, so everything. There's there's everything in the bike. If it's the lock, if it's the motor, if it's the connectivity, the speaker, the the, the gears, the automatic gears. Everything is controlled by the same single computer, and that makes it that we get we're able to get much more power out of this uh, motor, make the boost more uh, uh, powerful and also have more uh, range with it while having the same uh, battery size. So that's what we've changed. We didn't change too much on the uh, on the hardware. It's, it's The motor is a bit improved, but it's not completely new, but we are using it in a much better and much more efficient way because we completely uh, control the electronics now. And I think that's important. Normally you have a, some, a team who, who designs the electronics and another team who designs the motor and another team who designs the battery. And it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to, uh, to combine all those systems in the most efficient way. I think only maybe Bosch and Shimano can do that because they have giant R&D facilities. But now we did it too. And um, that's what is the biggest change on, on this bike. It's more powerful now. We've tested it in San Francisco. Uh, of course, not to every hill because some hills is, is, are just so steep that you even can't walk to it. And I, I don't think it's, it's uh, um, uh, safe to ride up those hills at all. But yep. uh, most common hills we uh, we can do and, and, and much better than with the S2. Yeah, oh, that's well, I'm excited to have a chance to try it out. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully be able to get a version down to New Zealand at some point. Excellent. Well, um, yeah, look, the other part is obviously the sales channel. So you've got, um, you as you sort of mentioned, you've got the brand stores that you go to and that you've got the... Um, uh, you know, you do it online and about 80% of that is online. Can you do, give a breakdown in terms of, of the brand stores, you know, what are the percentages of sales in a city that would be, that would have a brand store versus elsewhere, you know, that are like... Yeah, in so a, overall in a it's, it's 20 to 80, 20% brand stores, 80% online. I think in, um, in a city uh, like Amsterdam, it's it's it probably goes a little bit more to to 50 50 maybe 40 percent brand store 60 percent uh online um so still people but it's hard to uh to define the difference i think uh it's the same goes for tesla they also um i think they i heard somewhere that they don't have a separate balance sheets for their for their stores uh, we have we haven't got it either because it's people come by in the stores to test rides then order it on, online sometimes they order it online and and come by for a test ride afterwards uh, it's 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 hard to say what exactly the difference is i think um um and it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, for us, it's important. Uh, the, 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 the brand stores are more than a brand store. They're also a service center. Uh, people can connect to the brand. Uh, it's a great way for, for journalists to come by and uh, get to know more the brand and, and also test ride the bike. So that's why the, the brand stores are there. Um, and I don't care too much if they're, if, if, 
how much sales we do in the brand stores and uh, and online. That also that's our um, that's our goal to 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 make it completely fluent. You should be able to come into to a brand store, test ride the bike, and and order it online right in the brand store. It should be the same. It, um, uh, we try to uh, remove the, the 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 borders between online and offline. Yeah, awesome. Um, and and then for, for, um, in terms of the peace of mind subscription and the the bike hunters, like as a percentage of sales, would would you say that like most people opt into that? Because because the other thing as well, right, that I'd be thinking about is I noticed that when you did the announcement, you had twenty one places around the world, uh, in addition to the brand store markets where you offer that at home repairs. So the the sort of yeah. the, the maintenance program, um, and so you know. Uh, obviously you want to be able to provide that in more and more cities around the world and that's not done through a brand store obviously so you have some sort of like local people that you you train up and 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 then kind of have opt-in for the for as mechanics or something like that yeah, they... yeah yeah we call our, our bike mechanics bike doctors and we that's what we announced in our uh uh online announcement because we we were planning to have a big show uh and uh, announced the bike at the uh, micro mobility in in california yeah i was uh, very excited i was hoping that well I was, I was hoping when you said that there was something secret coming down the pipe it might have been that but um got it yeah. well yeah uh, so that was uh, uh, too bad but um uh, um so it, we did it online and in that online we announced that we are going to roll out uh uh mobile bike doctors so in cities where we don't have a brand stores we will be able to repair bikes uh, with mobile bike doctors. It's important to say that um, we starting to, to to see the advantages of uh, being a an, an, an direct to consumer brand. I mean, uh, because we have this direct connection with the consumer, we know everything. We know which uh, uh, issues they run into, um, how much they ride um, and all that knowledge we use to improve the bike on a weekly basis. So there's less and less maintenance. And normally there are always uh, bike shops in between the, the manufacturer and the, um, um, and the consumer. And of course that's great, but it also creates a lot of noise on, this, uh, on the communication between consumer and manufacturer. And that communication is very important. And if you are able to structure that communication, because you can't, Obviously, you can't talk to 100,000 consumers at the same time, but you, you need to structure that in such a way that you get the right information back from your consumers and that you can give the right information to your consumers. And if you're able to do that, that knowledge becomes pure gold because then you can uh, use that knowledge to improve your bikes on, an, 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 uh, on a weekly basis and even send uh, so. Uh, uh, software updates over the air to uh, to improve the bikes. So that's what we're uh, um, we're trying with the with but what we were trying with the S2 and the X2. And I think now with the S3 and X3, we we made a giant step over there. We are able to update the entire software of the bike, everything uh, over the air, and um, uh, and to 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 get the the issues out of the bikes and um, maybe that's that's one of the most more important steps of this bike. As you say, you've you've got obviously that feedback cycle. That that feedback cycle is very unique 
as far as I understand for the bike industry. And the reason that I bring that up is, you know, I've been talking to people who are, who are retailers who, you know, for, for Giant and Trek and Specialized and others. And there aren't really, I mean, any of those other retailers, whenever they sell a bike, they're selling it through to their distribution network. And there's very few of them that actually have a direct connection with that customer. And so the feedback cycle for them, you know, uh, it's similar to the same connection to the customer that traditional uh, automakers have with their dealer network, for example, where the, a lot of the inventory gets flooded through into dealer networks and then people go and buy the car from the dealer and the dealer's the person that they have that relationship with uh, versus something like Tesla where you go and you, you buy the car from Tesla, you have that direct relationship with Tesla for all the maintenance as well. And that's, um, you know, that's very unique as far as I can tell in the bike industry. Exactly. And then in the beginning, it can be challenging for your early adapters uh, because yeah there's they, sometimes they have to do a little bit more to get to your brand store to have the bike fixed and there are some issues in the beginning and I see I think you see the same with Tesla they had some issues in the beginning uh, for people getting their cars fixed but as they become bigger and as uh, uh, the cars become better and they have more people who are able to replace things uh, I think Tesla now have, uh, have mobile uh, car mechanics too. Yes. And um, uh, then, so it's, it, it's a little bit challenging for the early adapters, but if you get this, this system in, uh, in place, uh, it works much better than the traditional channel. Because there, there's always, a, in the traditional channel, there's always a fight like who owns uh, the customer. I mean, there's a reason that the manufacturers can't connect to the customers because it's, the, uh, it's because the bike the, uh, uh, shops say, yeah, uh, for obvious reasons, that's yes. our customers. Uh, I don't want you to connect to that customer. And uh, that is what I call with, uh, with, with noise. And it's also a pity. I mean, I, I would love to have a bike shop on every uh, corner of every street. Well, I want one but in New Zealand. I want to I want to be able to buy the bikes in New Zealand and I just know that you're you're, you know, New Zealand is very far down the list of places to come and expand to. I uh, I am I'm not so sure. Maybe uh, <laughs> I'm taking it from you, Taco. This is yeah, this is yeah. this is your your global announcement that uh, New Zealand is next up. No, no, um, no, not yet, but we would love to come to New Zealand. We have already sent someone there. I'm aware. I'm aware. He lives around the corner from me. Um yeah. yeah. Hey Dave, if you're listening to this. Um yeah, look, well, uh talk me through um yeah, it, is there anything else, by the way, that you wanted to talk to about the S3 or the X3? Because otherwise I have a bunch of other questions that you we, we could run through. Yeah, definitely. We forgot our most important thing. It's automatic shifting. Oh, um, yeah, of course. So okay, we, talk uh, us through there. We added an, uh, um, uh, an, an, a new automatic uh, shifting system, also completely designed in-house. We, we took a pretty standard uh, four uh, speed hub one that we really love and that uh, we believe works very well as it has a very big range um, and put an um, developed our own electric smart device on top of that that's uh, is doing the shifting for you so it's uh, um, it's electronic automatic shifting you can adjust the the gears via your smartphone app so it shifts automatically but if you say you like to uh, switch from third to fourth gear at 16 miles an hour instead of 14 miles an hour you can adjust that in uh, in the app 
That's amazing. And it's so it's so it's still an in hub uh system at the on the back wheel. Uh because I've yeah, seen definitely. The, yeah, yeah, because I've seen the the sort of the cogs that are inside of that gear gusset as well that you have um you know where the the, the chain goes through and then and then yeah. and then there's a sort of series of cogs that are that are inside that plastic uh cover uh that you've seen on the, so is that is that just there to be able to click through and then change the gear but the actual gear structure is on the inside of the hub exactly because that's what we we also uh, want to keep the bike light and we want to keep it maintenance uh, uh, as much maintenance free as possible so we believe in internal uh, gear hubs uh, we believed for uh, urban mobility that's uh, the best choice um, but we wanted them automatically so we put the uh, the device on, on on top of that and i think this is a perfect combination it's light it's it's maintenance free and uh, it's easy to use Excellent. And I noticed as well that you've you've gone for a chain that's enclosed in a plastic, that you've got a sort of a plastic cover over the chain. So I assume that's because there's then no oil and you don't have any sort of anything getting out. But I'm curious because a yeah, lot that's of... What, that we have that for uh, already on our, on our regular bikes too for six, seven years. So um, yeah. we believe you should be able uh, to ride your bike in, in your suit or uh, whatever clothes you want. So uh, um, we have everything covered. The, the wheels are covered by mud guards. The chain is covered by a chain guard. It's fully enclosed. And that means that you can put as much grease on the chain if you want, uh, so that it lasts uh, as long as possible. And uh, you won't get uh, your trousers in between them or anything. Also, that gives us the, uh, the opportunity to integrate a chain tensioner. So there's an integrated chain tensioner that keeps the, uh, the chain on exact exactly the right uh, tension there's a lot of discussion about belt drives uh, yeah i was trying to work out whether or not you'd go for belts as well yeah we've been watching them closely and there are some parts uh, on them that i really like but i believe in the end if you um, um if you ride uh, with a belt you still need an uh, a coverage for it we have a uh, we've done lot of we've been, done lots of experience with with belt drives, and I'm always uh, feel that if it rains or if there's uh, dirt on the road, you get stains in your uh, in your trousers a lot. So therefore, you would need and if we would switch to a belt drive, we would own we would also um, uh, have to design and develop an, an, uh, a cover around that belt. And then it doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, yeah. Then a chain is a much better solution. It's a little bit more silent than a, than a chain. So that I like about it. But it's also, yeah, it has some disadvantages. I think an, uh, a chain is much more maintenance-free than a, than a belt drive. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, that's brilliant. Um, thank you for nerding out with me on that for, for, for a moment. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, look, I, I, how are your supply chains? Um, how have they been impacted by, by COVID? Has it been material uh, at all for you? Yeah, lots, especially in the beginning, um, back in at the beginning of, of January, uh, right before Chinese New Year and right after that. There was uh, we had some some delay. The advantage was, of course, that we are uh, we have our office uh, with forty people in Taipei, so we were able to react in a really fast 
uh, way. Uh, we're yeah, we're there. We are right on top of 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 the supply chain. So we were able to uh, um, um, to recover pretty fast. And it's it's uh, uh, I think at the end of February we, everything was in place again and and production at 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 full speed. Uh, but it's um, it, it's it's tough. It's still tough. I mean, it's just uh, uh, let's say uh, twice the amount of work to get all parts um, uh, on the right time on the right place, and um, it's a, it's a lot of work for the for the for the team in in Taiwan to to get that done. And um, I think the world will have to will feel that for at least uh, another twelve months. It's um, um, yeah, it's 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 the impact is huge on the on the entire hardware industry. Yeah, excellent. And and talk me through the fundraising uh, situation. So obviously you've just raised the 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 twelve and a half million euros uh, for I think it was phrased scale up capital. Um, talk me through like how how you know funding and has got a lot tighter. Um, especially in this in this period, you know, how are your investors thinking about it? Was this was obviously kind of like, you know, how, how long have you been uh, doing the raise, and then is this, you know, what you were aiming to hit, and and you know, what did you find that experience to be like? Yeah, so uh, we raised uh, twelve and a half million with with Balderton and uh, and Simbon. Um, first of all, we're really happy that we closed the deal. I think uh, we're really proud to have Balderton on board. Uh, they're one of the top three VCs in uh, in Europe. A lot of experience in in deep tech, in uh, in scaling up businesses on a global level. And uh, um, yeah, we've been in uh, uh, working now for two to three weeks with our our, our partners uh, Tim Bunting and and Colin Hanna. And and yeah, they're they're awesome. They have a great vision on on micro mobility and. Um, um, really looking for, forward to work with them in in the future. Um, we've been uh, talking to some VCs uh, in the last year, year uh, in uh, mostly in San Francisco and uh, uh, and in London. Um, but we didn't really start yet. The, the we were aiming to start right after the launch of the S3 and the, the X3. Uh, um, um, so that was the plan, and then uh, the launch of the X3 and the S3 came, and all the changes because of the uh, the COVID nineteen uh, tragedy, which uh, which uh, yeah, we've talked about the downsides uh, a lot, but it also provides some uh, opportunities for us as a much more focus on e bikes now. So we already had expected big demand for the S3 and the X3, but it was totally crazy and we sold 600% more than uh, last year uh, in that single month um, we saw a b real opportunity we thought that if we can ramp up production uh, right away as soon as possible we are able to um, yeah to grow faster than um, than than our than our than expected than targeted so uh, what we did is reach out to uh, one of the um, VCs that we liked the most by far and that was uh, Balderton to see if we can get to a, a pretty quick and fast uh, deal 
so that we could continue with our plans as soon as possible. And that worked out very well. We, uh, we did the entire process, uh, including the, the due diligence in six to seven weeks. Speed was everything for us here. To have this uh, extra race in order to be able to uh, scale up production was the most important thing here. And we succeeded in that. And now it's, uh, uh, yeah, now we are working as hard as we can to ramp up production. Also invest, of course, more in R&D and uh, opening more stores. But the focus now is on ramping up production in order to have enough uh, supply to catch up with demand and get the shipping times uh, down. Yeah, because it's it's an interesting time in the industry. Obviously, like the owned space, um, you know, boosted. Obviously, went under, which was a which was I, you know, uh, personally, I was very uh, I was really upset to see that because I I love the boosted products. I think they're great. Yeah, me um, too. And and it's been a you know it's been a struggle for others in the industry to be able to raise uh, just because I know that the the you know not that many there aren't that many kind of VCs that are necessarily that well aligned with understanding as you say deep tech hardware. What do you think the implications are for the shared and owned companies that are looking to raise in this space for the for the coming like eighteen months? Obviously, you guys have you know you've raised and you you're off to the races and somewhat. But um, do you think that there's going to be um, do you think we're going to see new players in the space? What's the what's what's your sort of sense looking around at the moment? I'm. I think more of the listeners know more about sharing than I do. I. I I've, I don't know much about it. I've never understand it correctly. I, the only thing I could say, but I think that, in my, purely what I saw is that uh, sharing was more relying. So this this e-scooter sharing was more relying on 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 uh, tourists than everyone thought and, or maybe wanted to to see. And um, uh, so now, uh, now tourism is down practically over the whole world. It's it's a major impact on uh, on sharing, um, on 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 both on e-scooter sharing and on e-bike sharing. Um, on the other hand, there are massive opportunities. I mean, it's there. We're uh, running into big issues uh, on the entire globe. People have to go to back to their work eventually. We can't go on like this. People, and, and it might be June for New Zealand or maybe uh, se- September for the US and Europe. But people have to go back, and they can't go back to their work uh, with public transports. Uh, uh, which only ha- if you if you um, stick with the six feet distance rule, you you can only uh, have ten or twenty percent of the amount of people in uh, in public transport, and and it won't be possible to uh, uh, to get everyone in a car and uh, drive to their work. That will lead to ma- massive congestion issues. So, yeah, there is only one issue, and that's uh, pedestrian walking or cycling or or e scootering and. Uh, so there are also massive opportunities for uh, for this industry. It's it's just hard to say where it it, it goes, and I'm not an expert in in that. I I I I, I do know a lot about e-bike uh, uh, individual ownership, and I think the opportunities over there are just massively. If it's uh, um, uh, what well, like I said, as a, a, a people have seen the light and. Um, everything we we predicted a, a big increase in e-bike sales in the next five to ten years and that's now happening in the, this three to four uh four months a lot of mm. 
uh, there's a big surge in in e-bike sales, and I believe that will con- continue for the uh, uh, for the entire year, maybe next year too. Yeah, amazing. Um, look, one final question, which is uh, you had mentioned I had seen uh, as I was researching this episode, uh, you had mentioned in a German article that the S4 is going to be similar, and then the S5 is going to be something completely new. And uh, one of the questions that came in was. When will we see the Cybertruck equivalent, Taco? What what is the Cybertruck of uh, of, uh, of of Van Mouth going to look like? Um, I saw Casey Neistat made a Cybertruck bike. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did. Yep. It looked awesome. Uh, good idea. Good idea. I love the Cybertruck so much. Uh, uh, I, I like it and I hate it. Um, yeah. I, I, I like it because it's so different and it sets the tone. I hate it because, uh, um, uh, yeah, the electric mobility provides so much uh, options to to be more efficient. To uh, uh, and this is leading in a complete wrong direction. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I'm in the same uh, boat. I love it and also don't. Everything. I I no. want. I want one. And I don't want one at the same time. I I want one, and I want no one else to have one. That's uh, <laughs> that's maybe a short summary. But um, uh, it's actually quite a cool idea to develop one product um, just for very small uh, additions that 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 are just completely crazy. And I think. Uh, uh, almost a prototype uh, to set the standard to learn, um, and I, if I would have m- more time, I would, uh, I would love to do that in the future to create uh, the Cybertruck of uh, of e-bikes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And w- for 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 you, I mean, um, the because I I know, for example, like your current one only goes up to 32 kilometers an hour so it's not a class three is there a plan i mean i know i asked you this in the last episode but maybe you can reveal a little bit more plans for a class three or a speed pedelec to come through because one of the actually and sorry and and then i want to follow up on on that as well which is um i noticed that a lot of the videos where you where people were riding the s3 and x3 around uh the city everyone was like wow this is so much faster than uh than 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 the previous versions and yet nobody's wearing helmets and i'm kind of curious as to whether or not you think the introduction of e-bikes in um Amsterdam and stuff with the higher speeds is going to result in any sort of changes around safety legislation as well yeah so they don't go faster uh they're limited at uh, uh 20 sorry 25 kilometers an hour which is i think 16 miles per hour yes um the limit on what people mean if they go fast is that their uh, acceleration is really right, fast. Quick so off when the you mark. leave yeah, it, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what they probably mean. Um, it's also the case that uh, because we chose for a front motor, um, front motors work really good if you want to go faster. They, what I also do a lot is use the uh, the the engine if I want to go. Uh, uphill if i want to if i have a strong wind in front of me how do you say that uh, yeah yeah like a headwind 
yeah, as the strong headwind or when I'm accelerating and then take over for myself above 25. With a mo mid motor, that's very uh, heavy. You can't go faster than uh, where it's limited. You can, but then you have to push really hard to uh, get you through the motor. Uh, with a mid motor, that's different. It just uh, rolls on with you. So riding through Amsterdam, I'm very uh, often riding faster than 25, just on my own uh, human power. And uh, that's the, 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 one of the, the biggest advantages of, uh, um, of, of, of front motors. And rear motors, by the way, it's the same, same system. Um, so uh, yes, you, you do uh, ride fast. Uh, should people wear helmets? I've, I've, I think Personally, but uh, let me uh, be really clear on that. Everyone should decide uh, uh, for their own uh, because it's 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 different in every continent. Uh, what how much cars are used to bikes, how much bike lanes there are. But personally, I feel perfectly safe uh, around thirty kilometers an hour and I, I i believe that's the perfect speed for e-bikes and also the limit should be raised a little bit to 30 32 that's the uh, a safe speed if i would go to 40 kilometers an hour then i would switch to a helmet definitely um yeah. but but i think that's that's the speed where you can uh yeah nicely oversee traffic and and be pretty safe um when you bump into something or uh um, yeah, yeah I, th th there was a. Um, of the, course, there's the... a, a. There's been a lot of discussion about. Yeah, always uh, between the Americans and the Europeans, uh, should cyclists wear helmets all the time? And um, yeah, that's basically if you're if you if you're living in Amsterdam and you see that everyone rides a bike here and how much cars are used to to bikes. It would be silly to to wear a helmet. That would be the same as pedestrians wearing a helmet. And I've never heard anyone saying that. So um, <laughs> it it depends. Well, it's also it really as well that your your infrastructure is just so much better, right? If people stick on those bike lanes and uh, uh, just ride straight up uh, on a on a on a on a modest speed, I think it's. Uh, pretty doable uh, without a helmet. When I go road cycling, I always uh, wear a helmet, of course, because then you're focused on on, on, on your sport. Excellent. Hey, well, look, I'm aware uh, I have taken all of your time. Uh, so, Taka, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for, for coming on again and uh, talking through, through everything today. Um, uh, for folks yeah. who do want to track you down, uh, you are on Twitter, I believe. Yes. Uh, <laughs> hard name, Taco Carlier. Um, <laughs> but uh, Vemhoof is on, on, on Twitter too. And uh, um. Excellent. Okay, brilliant. Well, look, I'm looking forward to having you on when we, uh, when we have the Cybertruck equivalent announcement uh, from, from Vemhoof. Uh, uh, but look, in the meantime, you take care of yourself and, and really appreciate it. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, hopefully, the lockdown, the global lockdown, opens up again, and we have a another micro mobility conference, and now I'm able to uh, uh, to show the the cyber bike. Yeah. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for having me, and and keep up the the good work with your platform. I love it. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. <laughs>